feel free to grab a seat. Uh, we're going to carry on worshipping our great God as we come to communion. Um, and that's the cue uh, for those of you who are at home to um, run to the fridge and uh, pull out a bread roll if that's where you keep, or you probably don't keep bread rolls in fridges. That was terrible. Okay. Just get a bread roll and some juice, which is in the fridge, hopefully. Um, and uh, what we're doing here actually is remembering uh, who Jesus is, what he's done. He calls us, in fact, to come in remembrance of him. And I actually myself remember a time uh, a while ago, actually, when I was 15 years old, watching uh, The Passion of the Christ for the first time in the cinema. And if you uh, don't know The Passion, it's a movie that portrays Jesus' final hours before um, going to the cross. And there's a particular scene in there where Jesus is getting beaten and mocked. He's completely innocent. Uh, hasn't done anything to deserve how he's being treated. And I remember just sitting there and feeling this boiling up of anger and hatred towards the people that were doing this to him. And as I sat there with this just feeling um, boiling up, it was, it was as if God said to me, that's not how I feel. And what I failed to realize that was that if there was anyone in history who was ever able to prevent that from happening, if there was anyone who was able to call in heaven's armies to stop what was going on to him, it was Jesus. And he chose not to. In that moment, I realized that my image of God, my understanding of who God is, was actually quite wrong. And in fact, in Colossians 1, it says this about who Jesus is and what he came to do to show us who God really is. It says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It goes on to say, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What I realized then is that in my own life, in the lives of those around me, in the world around me, there were very warped images of who God actually is. And I saw that Jesus came to show me the reality of who God is. He came to show you the reality of that. And this is why we come to remember because it's so easy with all the different um, information that we get, all the different images that we get from the world around us to forget the reality of who He is. And what does He show us? That while we were completely against Him as humanity, that at our worst, when we as humanity crucified Him, He shed his blood to bring peace to us. He loved us. And that is the reality that we continue 2,000 years later to come back to because that, that is a reality that is alive today. God loves us and has made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to know forgiveness, to know life in him. And that is incredible news. And it's that very reason 
that Jesus said to his disciples and he says to us now that we are to come in remembrance of him. And that's why we have the bread in the cup here. He said, after he took the bread on the night that he was betrayed, saying, he gave thanks and said, this is my body given for you. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this is the incredible reality that we can live in today, knowing God's love for us, knowing who He is revealed in Jesus, knowing forgiveness of sin and life. So as we come now, feel free to get that red, to peel that open and get the the wafer out there. Let's take this together, knowing that He has given Himself for us, that we might know life. Let's eat that. And there's a reality now as well. Through the shedding of His blood, we, He has made peace with us. There is peace between us and God. We can know Him fully. So why don't you join me as we stand and um, let's just stand and affirm who God is, right? We're coming to Him. We're reflecting on the fact that through His blood, we have forgiveness of sin. Through His blood, we are a new creation. We are actually a new family here today. We are united together by what He has done. So let's drink together. Father, we come to You directly because of the precious blood of Your Son. It has made it possible for us to know forgiveness, to know the reality of Your love. And so we hold nothing back. We wanna give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. We wanna give you our whole lives, in fact. We want to lose our lives so that we might have life to the full in you. And so we come to you, giving you all of our praise, all of our worship, all the honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's continue as we, as we worship God, continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has made, made perfect love known to us. Let's do that, church. Yes, great God, we thank you that you reign above it all. And Lord, we just declare that you are good in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you, Lord, and we give you all praise in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, you can grab a seat wherever you are. Can we just give a hand to the band as they come on down? I wanna extend my welcome to you, uh, whether you're online or joining us um, here at Bridgman. Uh, My name is Trav, Um, I'm part of the youth team here um, at Bridgman, and it's so good to be sharing. It's a real privilege actually to be sharing God's word with you tonight. Um, I don't know about you, but it, it feels like 2020 has been the longest year of all time. 
And I get a little bit of excitement when, um, when I hear that we're going into Christmas services and things like that. And I get a bit excited when I go to Chermside and I see the Christmas decorations coming up, even if it is about one to two months too early. Um, I feel like we deserve it this year. Um, but before we jump into talking about Christmas um, here at Bridgman, here at church, and with there being three weeks left in November, uh, we got together and wanted to um, squeeze in a short series based on the parables or the stories that Jesus tells in Luke 15 to a group of tax collectors and sinners. Um, so we're starting tonight with the uh, well-known parable of the lost sheep, and then next week we're looking at the lost coin, and then we're finishing with the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, when we got together and we're just chatting through what this series looks like, we came to the name um, Stories of the Found. Um, because we see so clearly through all three of these stories that God's love is not passive, but it is in fact active and is a love which does not stop seeking out the lost and does not relent until all those who are lost have been found. So let's read together from Luke 15 uh, verses 1 to 7. It's going to come up on the screen as well for us. Um, But if you've got your Bibles there, then feel free to to pull them out now. Luke 15, verses 1 to 7 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is God's word to us tonight. We we start out with this situation where uh, Jesus is walking and there's a large crowd with him. And in this large crowd, we have uh, the tax collectors and the sinners who are the lowly bottom of society folk. And then we also have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are the holy, righteous folk. Um, And we're told right off the bat that the Pharisees and teachers of the law are muttering about Jesus, which is a great word, muttering, to sum up what they're doing. Because we all know what muttering is. Uh, It's that thing we do when we're annoyed or we want to complain about something, we disagree with something but we do not want to be heard. So we just mutter to ourselves our grievances, our annoyances that we have. And the funny thing about muttering is that we never mutter about something positive. We never say uh, something like, I'm having a really good day today. We never mutter about, you know, oh, the sun's out again. You know, we never mutter about anything that's positive. It's always our grievances. It's always our annoyances. So the the Pharisees, they're muttering about Jesus. They're annoyed that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because for a Pharisee, they believed it to be wrong to even be seen 
with a sinner or tax collector, let alone to share the same space, share a table, share a meal with them. To give you some context, the Pharisees uh, were a ruling body of Jews who accepted the written word, as in the Old Testament, they accepted this as law, as inspired by God, but they also gave equal authority to their own traditions, known as the traditions of the elders. So in Pharisaic law, tax collectors and adulterers and thieves and um, anyone living an immoral lifestyle was to be viewed as a sinner and was to be avoided at all costs. For the Pharisee, righteousness came through ritual purity and separation from sinners. In other words, the Pharisees, uh, they believed that it was through their righteous actions that they could earn favour from God, which leads to their salvation. And so as we continue with the story, we see the Pharisees are doing what they know best. They're muttering about Jesus. And Jesus knows this. Um, and he gives the, this crowd this story. He gives them the picture of a lost sheep being rescued by the shepherd. Jesus knows his audience very, very well uh, because sheep were a major source of income at the time. And it's very likely that these people knew how to care for a flock of sheep. And they also knew the value of caring for the flock of sheep. Um, but don't worry, for us today, the meaning is not lost. Um, even though there may not be many shepherds here with us tonight or people that have cared for sheep before, um, the meaning is not lost on us. We don't have to translate to, you know, suppose you have 100 iPhones and you lose one of them. We don't have to kind of go down that way. We can just take the meaning from the story directly. And it's because one of the reasons that Jesus uses the metaphor of the sheep is that without a shepherd or someone to lead them, sheep become well and truly hopelessly lost. Uh, we know that most dogs can find their way home. Uh, we know that different types of birds, you know, they migrate from all across the globe back home. Uh, cats, as we all know, they have no problem drifting in and out of homes. They can even have multiple families on the go, thinking that they own this one cat. Um, even chickens can make their way home without help. Um, I have mentioned this before because I love talking about our chickens, but we have two beautiful chickens at home, and I couldn't bring them with me tonight, actually, but that would have been a good illustration. Um, Lauren, my wife, wasn't actually too keen at first on chickens, uh, so I waited till she went away for a girls' weekend, and then I um, just went out and grabbed a couple. Uh, she loves them now, so that's all good. Uh, we got a little pen built for them, we named them Mary and Martha, as you do, and um, they've provided eggs for us ever since. And uh, one of our favourite things to do is when we get home in the late afternoon after work we, um, we, and we're just pottering around in the house, we let them out of their little, their little hutch and they, um, they potter around in the backyard and they just kind of, you know, spend some free time out there. And um, the, the best part is that when the sun goes down, you may not have known this, when the sun goes down, the chickens see that cue and go, yep, no worries, off to bed. And they go, they take themselves and they trot off to bed and hop into their hutch, they hop into their pen um, as soon as the sun goes down. We don't go out and shoo them in. We don't, I don't go out and throw them over my shoulders and carry them home. They just 
They're all sorted. They're all good by themselves. Um, But sheep are not like that at all. Sheep are really, really stupid animals. Um, Here are the words of a pastor who, before entering into ministry, was actually a shepherd. And he says, right off the bat, he says, a sheep is a stupid animal. It loses its directions continually. And even when you find a lost sheep, the lost sheep brushes to and fro and will not follow you home. So when you find it, you must seize it, throw it to the ground, tie its front legs and hind legs together and throw it over your shoulders and carry it home. That's the only way to save a lost sheep. In case you're wondering and you see a lost sheep one day, you know what to do. Um, Again, I've I've shared this story, but it just perfectly illustrates this point. Uh, There was a story from uh, a few years back in eastern Turkey where there were 1,500 sheep all gathered together and there were multiple flocks and multiple shepherds all gathered together. And the shepherds had a, must have had a communication breakdown because they went off to breakfast and didn't organise for someone to look after the whole flock. And it didn't take long before one of the 1,500 sheep saw a patch of grass up at the top of a cliff. And as it was led up to the cliff looking for this, this patch of grass, it started eating the grass and kept going right over the edge of the cliff and plunged to its death. What happened next was that the other 1,499 sheep saw that one and went, this guy, he knows, he knows something that we don't know. Let's follow him. And so they followed this one sheep up the cliff and it wasn't until 400 other sheep went over the edge that the next one looked down and went, oh, maybe not today. Maybe not. Maybe I won't go over this cliff's edge today. And there was a huge amount of money lost um, as these sheep went over the cliff's edge. The reality is, without a guide or a shepherd, a sheep that gets lost isn't just kind of wandering around, frolicking in the fields. If it's lost, it is going to die. It will perish. In fact, when we look at, at the scripture, the Greek translation for the word lost that is used for the lost sheep is apolumi, which actually means to perish, meaning that these sheep are not just misguided, but they are, they're dead, they're gone, they are lost forever if they are out of the sight of the shepherd or out of the control of the shepherd. So, so why is Jesus using this metaphor here? Well, he's using this metaphor to, to not just talk about sheep and shepherds, but to talk about the kingdom of God. And to point out, not that we are physically lost, but spiritually lost. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. The truth is, we are born into this life as lost sheep. We're born into this world completely separated from God because of our sin. Because we choose to go our own way, just like the sheep literally walks away from the shepherd. And in doing so, as we walk away from God, what we end up doing is we cut ourselves off from God, our life source. Just as the sheep is cut off from its life source, the shepherd. Its source of protection and safety and 
um, its source of, of food and water and a safe place to rest. And like the sheep physically perishes without the shepherd, so we spiritually perish without our master. The reality that Jesus is wanting these people in the crowd to know, and for us here tonight to know as well, is that we need to be rescued by our master, Jesus. I know what you're thinking. You might, be, you might not like that comparison of yourself compared to a sheep. You might be thinking, oh, that's a bit rough. I, I don't, you know, I, I understand that, you know, I don't always have it together, but to call me, to say I'm like a sheep is, you know, probably a, bit, a step too far. Um, we like to think of ourselves as very self-reliant and very intelligent. Uh, so when issues come along, you know, we like to think that we and we alone have the ability to get ourselves out um, because we often think we know best. And in a lot of ways, we see this reflected in our society. It's kind of a cycle where our society teaches us to value independence and self-sufficiency. And when we receive news that actually we're a bit like sheep, we, we you know, don't really know what we're doing, uh, we can be a bit insulted. You know, we can think, uh, we can say things like, I think I'm doing pretty well, actually. Um, I might wander around, but I'm not lost. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm not lost. I was listening to a sermon and the speaker said that when people come and say this to him, uh, that he just replies with, just give it time. Just give it time. If not now, then in the future, we all at some point will have an, have an experience which brings us to this realization that we are lost, that we don't actually have all the answers and we don't know where we're going and we don't know how to get back off the cliff's edge, back to safety. Um, you may have heard this quote, Mike Tyson, one of the greatest boxers of all time, uh, put it like this, that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You may have the greatest plan in the world, but as soon as an issue comes that takes you out, you suddenly realize, I don't have things under control. Like, I am, I am in desperate need of rescuing. I'm very lost. So there's a great spiritual insult here that Jesus gives us. And I want to encourage you that it, if we're not too proud to receive it brings us into the transforming knowledge that without Jesus' rescuing, we are like a lost sheep who cannot be saved. Or I was thinking of another example that's like this. And if you've, if you've been born in Australia or grown up in Australia, uh, one of the first things you're taught as a young kid is to watch out for getting caught in a rip at the beach. This is Parenting 101, I think. As soon as you go to the beach, it's all hands on deck to stop the kids getting stuck in a rip. Um, a rip, if you don't know, is just it's that strong current that pulls you out from the safe, shallow water and into the deeper, treacherous parts of the ocean. And the dangerous thing about rips is that you can be in a rip without even knowing. As a young kid, I can remember uh, being in the water at the beach and just hanging around in the shallows and catching waves or whatever, and then suddenly looking up and thinking, gee, that's weird. You know, the red and yellow flags have moved. They've moved them over or something. And then actually realizing, whoa, wait, 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 they haven't moved the flags. I've drifted about 50 meters to the left. 
And then having that realization of, oh, wait a minute, I can't feel the sand on my feet anymore. I don't know if you've had this experience where you, where you realize, I can't touch the bottom anymore. And you do that thing where you go down a little bit more and then you still can't touch and you're like, oh no, I'm in deep trouble here. And then you have that thought of, you know, if I try to get back to the shallow and start swimming back, I'm going backwards. I can't get forward to the shallow, safe waters. I can remember the panic setting in at this point, the realization that dawned on me that I'm not in control in this situation and I'm headed for disaster. And this is a true story. I can remember um, being in this situation where the waves are getting higher and higher and until one of the lifesavers came past and grabbed me and pulled me to the safety of the shallow waters and I could uh, walk back out. Imagine now that despite the waves getting heavier and despite me not being able to keep my head above the water, say that I held to the belief that I was not in a rip. You know, I, even, though I was, even though the waves are crashing over me and I couldn't feel the bottom of the, of the uh, floor of the ocean, say that I believed that I was not actually in a rip, that I was in control and I was not in need of help. So much so that when the lifesaver came along to, and reached out his hand to help me, I denied him. I said, I'm all good. I'm all good. I've got this under control. I'm all good. That would be utterly ridiculous, would it not? All the evidence points to the fact that, Travis, you are stuck in a rip. You need help. Yet if I choose to believe that I'm not in a rip, that doesn't save me. In the same way, Jesus is telling us that we are all stuck in a spiritual rip. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we feel it right now or not, we are all in need of rescuing. The other thing, just one more thing on sheep. The other thing about sheep is that uh, when sheep see grass, no matter where they are, no matter how far away that grass is or how steep the incline is to get to it, how inconvenient it is to get to, they go for it. Um, This just points to how stupid sheep are. No matter how dangerous the terrain, they go to where they can feed on the grass. Um, When I was younger, we we actually did have a couple of sheep um, to keep the grass. I grew up on a couple of acres out of Moorfield and we had a couple of sheep to uh, keep the grass down. And um, each day it would be someone's job to go and get the sheep um, from the the back fence because they'd put their head through the fence trying to get to the grass on the other side. They literally thought the grass was greener on the other side. And it would be someone's job to, you know, help get the sheep's head out of the fence because they're stuck in the fence. And the reality is that just like, is that just like, you know, we need rescuing, just like the sheep needs rescuing, We are so much like the sheep because we also yearn to feed on something. And I don't just mean physically feed. I mean that our souls yearn to be fed, to be filled, to be nourished. It doesn't take too long to realize that we we carry a deficit in our hearts. We carry a need to be fulfilled, to be satisfied and happy and purposeful and wanted. 
And just like the sheep rushes around and gets lost looking for the best patch of grass, the greenest patch of grass, we too get lost looking for the things that will fulfill our deficit. And it might be things that are totally fine, but if we put our, our complete soul into these things, then it it's ends up disastrous. If we put our soul into things like our image or our family or you know this idea of someone falling in love with you or a job or a home, whatever it is, if our souls are feeding on anything that isn't from the hand of Jesus, then we are just like the sheep teetering on the cliff's edge. We are spiritually lost and feeding on the wrong source. And so what does the shepherd do? He demonstrates relentless, selfless and seeking love by pursuing after the lost sheep. This is quite amazing. This is extraordinary. And the story goes that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one until he finds it. And we, what we get here is this, this word, until. That's so important because it's not that the shepherd just does one round trip. He doesn't just do, have one crack at finding the lost sheep and then when he doesn't, he goes, oh, well, you know, you win some, you lose some and move on with his day. He is out there until he finds the lost sheep. He will not stop until the lost is found and is safe again. He is in relentless pursuit. And it's here that Jesus is telling us, he's telling this crowd, he's saying, I am the shepherd. I am the one who seeks after you, who finds you and brings you back, who brings you out from perishing and gives you new life. This is, this is amazing when you stop and think about it, that despite us pushing him away, ignoring his calls, avoiding his presence, despite us chasing after the next best thing, the next patch of grass, getting carried back to the flock and then wandering off again, he seeks us and brings us back to him. Often when people uh, read this parable, uh, there is a perception that Jesus abandons the 99 or ditches the 99 as if the one is worth more to him than the 99. And this is not a case of favoritism at all. This is not, this is not, he's not abandoning the 99 here. If you suppose that there is a father who has four kids and they're all sound asleep one night, uh, when suddenly a house fire breaks out and the father awakes to smoke billowing through his room um, and he quickly rushes to get his children from their rooms out to safety. And uh, when the children are outside safe on the lawn, he does a quick head count to make sure that, you know, he's got them all and he goes, okay, Sam, Lisa, Tim, wait a minute, where's... Where's Ashley? Where's, our, where's the youngest? Where's my youngest daughter? And so he realises that his youngest daughter is actually still inside. What does he do? Does he go, oh, well, 
three is enough. Like, you know, that'll do, I guess. No, no way. He leaves the three that are safe, safe from the fire. They're not going anywhere. He leaves them safe and he rushes in after his youngest. Jesus does not abandon the 99. They are safe. They are protected by his angels. They are guided by his Holy Spirit. But he is not satisfied by close enough. He doesn't want to save majority of people. He wants to save all people. Jesus was sent to this earth so that he may seek and save the lost. And whilst absolutely he rejoices in the fact that many have been saved, his heart aches for those who are still out there. And what what we're given in this story is this idea that um, the reality actually, that it's not us who pursues after God, but it's that God pursues after us. You know, in response to God's pursuing of us, we are given the option to accept or decline his love. And in our acceptance of his love, we may say something along the lines of, I discovered God or I discovered God's love. You know, I, I, I turned to him and I discovered his love and hope. Um, and while, while that's true, that's really, it's only a fragment of the whole picture. The whole picture is this, that God has always loved you. He's always known you despite you only just now loving and knowing him. Or another way of looking at it is that God has been on a rescue mission for you your entire life from the moment of birth, from the moment of inception. And you've now allowed him to carry you to safety. If it were true that it's us that pursues God, and only when we do so do we receive his rescuing, then we're no different from the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees believe that they must work to receive God's love, that they must pursue righteousness, you know, maintain strict routines of rituals, stay away from sinners um, and tax collectors. They believed that this was the way to receive salvation. They believed they could earn their salvation. And when we believe that it is us who pursues God, we believe that it is by our actions that we can save ourselves. And this is not, this is not the reality of Jesus. Romans 6.23 tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation, eternal life, the rescuing we so desperately need, the direction we need, the purpose we need to fill the deficit in our hearts is not earned, but is freely given through the grace of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He is the one good shepherd who chases us down who joyfully throws us over his shoulders and carries us to safety. Um, I, I came to this 
I guess I um, experienced the fullness of this this year when um, at the start of the year we held our Switch Youth Camp um, up at Karamundi for a weekend and we had just this incredible time of, uh, of just hanging out as a family and it's always just so encouraging for us as a youth ministry to see young people, young teenagers come into a deeper awareness of God's love and also make a commitment to follow Jesus. And it sets the tone for our year. It sets the culture for our year. And so we had an amazing time away at the start of the camp. And thankfully, uh, this was before, just a couple of weeks before COVID lockdown. And um, we were so thankful we could get that time in at camp before we went into lockdown. Um, And when we were headed into lockdown, obviously we couldn't do our usual Friday night youth group stuff. Um, and so we started thinking, you know, what should we do? What, what can we do to keep momentum going and keep, you know, just find ways to keep ministering to the youth and, um, you know, keep on track a bit? And so we came to the idea of doing podcasts and some live streams and a Zoom alpha group um, on Sundays. And we started doing all these things. And there came a point where I really doubted that, uh, that, that anything was working. I was worried that the podcast was just adding to the noise on social media and just the endless flow of digital content that came out around COVID times. And I just really wasn't sure if there was much point to it at all. It's only on reflection now that I I can see that what I was really saying at that point was, I don't think God can work here. Yeah, he can work on camps. Of course he can. But you know, he can't work through a podcast. He can't work online. That was, the, that was the, the thoughts I was having at the time. And so I found myself, uh, Lauren and I were talking uh, all about it. And we found ourselves just going for a walk down at Sandgate and um, just wondering whether we just ditch the whole podcast thing and wait till we come back. And uh, while we were down there, essentially just having this existential crisis, we, um, I heard a voice call out my name. And it was, a, it was a, a, one of the girls from youth. And she was down there with her family, just going for a, a scooter ride along the water. And she actually never usually comes down to Sandgate. You know, she lives over at Aspley. And anyway, just by chance, she happened to be there. And we were like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You know, just chatting to her, seeing how she's going. And then as she was leaving, she made a point of saying, oh, by the way, I cannot wait to go home and listen to the Switch podcast. It is, it is the highlight of my week. Thank you so much for doing it. It means the world. And Lauren and I went, yep, no worries. Yeah, we'll keep doing that. Yep, absolutely. No stress. And then as we walked away, we just immediately were like, we are so sorry, God. You just answered that right in the moment of our crisis. We were so blown away that, you know, this was what God was wanting to do. And so with this new confidence, we just kept going and just, you know, kept doing what we thought God was, was leading us to. Later on, we actually found out that another one of the girls who attended Switch had been watching some services online and she'd been, you know, listening to the podcast and doing the alpha group on, on Zoom. And she had actually, in COVID time, decided to give her life to God and become a follower of Jesus. In the midst of no youth ministry happening, she became a Christian. Only attending Switch for a few months and barely even knew of any other Christians in her life, but she made this commitment 
to become a Christian? Is that not evident of how, uh, not evidence of how God pursues after the lost? And it's not any of our doing. It's completely God. You know, I was immediately floored because God not only used this situation in her life, but in, in, in mine as well, because here I was just trying to predict God, trying to hedge God into, you work this way, God. You know, you, 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 know, you should work through our usual Friday nights between this set time and this time, and not realising that God had other plans, that God was going to use any means necessary to seek this girl out and to seek many others out over that time as well. And what I learned was that God's love is unrelenting. He is always seeking out his lost sheep and he will not rest until he rescues each and every one. For those who are believers here tonight, uh, you know too well the reality of needing constant rescuing. You know how easy it is to be tempted by the fresh patch of grass in the distance or how believable the empty promises of the world are. And I want to tell you, uh, whether you're a believer or not actually tonight, that the beauty of the word is that when we come into the knowledge that we alone cannot save ourselves, that we are in fact deeply lost, the love of Jesus is there knocking on our hearts, begging to be let in. And we need only answer his call and accept the love pursuing us. I'm going to pray for us now, just as we come into response of this word. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that it's you that pursues us, that you freely give us your love, despite us turning away time and time again. We thank you for the gift of your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. We ask that you continue to return the lost to your kingdom, Father. We pray that those who are lost in our world right now, who are here tonight and can recognise that they are lost as well, we just pray that they come to the realisation that they need you, that they need to be saved, and that they would give up control of their lives and be carried home by their one and only Master, Jesus. Father, we receive your grace now and we glorify you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just invite you to, to stand as we come to a time of response now. And we're going to sing a, a song which talks about the overwhelming, never ending love of God. So let's lift our voices to Him. Let's praise Him with all that we have, church. This is God's heart. He relentlessly pursues the lost. He relentlessly pursues those who have not yet found hope and life eternal in Him. This is, this is who God is. This is His heart. Luke chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and he climbs a tree, tries to hide from Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He comes under that tree, he looks straight up at him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And then he finishes that section. Jesus says these words after he comes down to his house and all these people come. He says, for I have come, the Son of Man has come, for what? I have come to seek and to save the lost. This is God's heart.
And if you're here tonight, you're watching online, maybe God has been tugging at your heart tonight, I want to encourage you just, just to surrender to Him, surrender your life to Him. It's the best decision you could ever make. And tonight as we conclude, we want to pray, particularly knowing in the light of this Word, knowing God's heart, we want to pray for our team from here are heading off to Red Frogs this week. And so if you're part of our Red Frogs team that are heading down, then we'd love you just to come down the front here because we want to pray for you. So come on down the front right now. Pastor David's leading the team there as well. But if you're one of our Red Froggers, come down the front here. And we want to pray for you, particularly in the light of this. And as they come in, we're going to pray for them. But I want to invite all of us to pray a prayer tonight as well because maybe there are people in your life Come right down along the front here, actually, right along the front. Maybe there are people in your life that you're praying for, that you're longing to come home, longing to be found by Jesus. Maybe people you've been praying for for a long time, or maybe you think, God, can you reach this person? Well, I want you to hear the word tonight. God's word through Trav, that this is his heart. He is pursuing people relentlessly. And you might look and think, God, how can you reach that person? Let me tell you, let me assure you right now, God is pursuing them. God is chasing after them. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for our Red Frog team, and then we're going to sing the bridge again. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. And what I want you to do is to make that a prayer for a person that you are praying for. And rather than saying, coming after me, make it those words about that person. Put that person's name in there. No shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up. Coming after whoever that person is you're praying for, knowing this is God's heart. So let me pray. And then we're going to respond, sing that bridge again. Let me pray now. Lord, we want to thank you. In fact, um, you might want to reach a hand out to these ones here. We can't lay hands on them because of COVID, but you can reach a hand out to them right now. Lord, we want to pray for these ones. Thank you, Lord, for their willingness to follow your call, to step out in faith. And Lord, we are praying now, Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, knowing, Lord, in advance that you're already at work, Lord. You're already pursuing these ones. They're going to be heading down. These high schools are going to be down there at schoolies, Lord. So you're going before in this. And I pray you'll fill each and every one of them with the faith, Lord, that that is what you're doing in the lives of the ones they're going to encounter. Many God opportunities, Lord. Incredible opportunities to speak life and hope and truth to lift high the name of Jesus. Keep them safe, protect them, give them wisdom, discernment. But above all of that, Lord, give them a boldness and a courage to proclaim the good news that the Kingdom of God has come. And so let's sing this out as our prayer for any you want to pray for in your life right now. No shadow. This is God's heart. Let's sing. Lord, we thank You. Yeah, amen, Lord. We thank You. We declare this. The names of people, Lord, that we are praying for tonight, Lord, it's powerful when we bring them before you, Lord. We're asking, Lord, break down barriers, Lord. Open eyes to see, Lord, will people know in such a real and a tangible way that they cannot deny that you love them. Put people in their path this very week, we pray. But we lift these names up before you, Heavenly Father, full of faith because this is your heart, great God. And so we honour you, we worship you, Lord. We leave this place ready, Lord, ready to be used by you so that many would come to know the hope and life found in you, Lord Jesus, alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we put our hands together again and give thanks to Jesus and encourage these red frogs as well. So good. God bless you. You can grab a seat wherever you are. If you want prayer in some way tonight, then do come and see us. If you're online, email through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. But God bless you. Look forward to connecting together again soon.